1: Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in a very different, somewhat expanded virtual studio are Flick Ford. Hello. And two very special guest hosts, both titans of Melbourne Cinema Ex- uh, Exhibition, representing both sides of the river. <laughs> Repping Northside in the red corner, uh, we welcome the CEO of Carlton Cinema Nova, Christian Connolly.
2: Pleasure to be here.
1: And in the blue corner, ripping Southside, we welcome the GM of Saint Kilda's Astor Theatre, Duke the Cat. No, Sir Zach Hepburn.
3: Uh, samples of seating. Duke the Cat will be played by Zach Hepburn. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Lovely to be with you all.
1: <laughs> Sorry, he must have got his paws all over my computer. I apologise. Um <laughs> we'll be chatting to these two fine gents about the effects of the coronavirus epidemic on their venues and the cinema exhibition industry as a whole, their thoughts on the way forward and what this whole experience has taught them. After which, Zach and Christian will kindly stick around to join Flick and I as we uh review two highly anticipated new releases that have just hit streaming platforms. A high-performing school is embezzled and Hugh Jackman and Alison Janney might be responsible in director Corey Finley's true crime film, Bad Education. And Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon pack their impressions and egos for the fourth time to team up for a trip around Greece in Michael Winterbottom's aptly titled new film, The Trip to Greece. But let's jump right in uh, to our chat with uh, Christian Connolly and uh, Zach Hepburn. So how have you both been? I mean, it's just a year like any other, just passing without incident. I'm sure nothing's occurred.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I mean, if we just, even if, if we actually ended the year, I think when Parasite won Best Picture, I think we all could have gone home pretty happy, but obviously three weeks later, we were all dealing with something similar in name, but perhaps not quite as similarly attractive at the box office. And uh, and we, we were obviously, uh, you know, shut down very shortly after. I mean, what I've kind of found, found myself thinking about lately is the fact that at the time, it felt like it was taking forever to actually kind of occur in terms of um, us getting ready to deal with the the issue. But in retrospect, it was actually a really, really short window of time where we went as an industry from being absolutely on fire in terms of people coming through the door and the excitement about the industry to suddenly
1: being closed. Yeah, that that's kind of what I was um kind of wanting to ask, I guess. So it all kind of happened, um, and you put it there perfectly, Christian, like in terms of it being such a short window. Like it like, you know, it's it, it has that kind of elastic time thing going on. But uh, what was your immediate reaction to all this, um, to both of you, and did you manage to anticipate it to any degree or was it just as sudden as it seemed?
3: Um, I, look, I, well, I think I certainly did anticipate it, and I think, you know, you know Christian and I obviously probably spoke about it numerous times prior to this as well. Um, I think everyone felt that something was coming and you were just like, you know, moving closer and closer towards that full stop, but you didn't exactly know when you were going to get there. So you, you just naturally sort of were sort of intellectualising how are we going to do this and, and how are we going to deal with it? And and it, it, at the after, at least, we sort of did it in stages. You know, we we sort of, you know, we stopped doing maybe uh, uh, in-service uh, coffee. Well, like we just did takeaway coffee in takeaway cups initially. And then we sort of like slowly regressed things until we got to the point where we went, well, hang on, now we're seeing numbers that uh, we won't be able to operate with, you know. So uh, we actually had, you know, numerous sessions booked in that, you know, I'd, 900 people coming up for one session and we just knew that that wasn't going to happen so everything sort of just sort of got scaled back kind of slowly and I think you know in an odd way that's going to be what happens when we reopen. Everything's going to be yeah. kind of scaled up slowly. So it's not just this kind of like light switch is kind of flicks off. I think, you know, you have to do it very sort of pragmatically and I think that's at least what we did uh, and I'm sure many others in the industry did as they slowly sort of eased uh, in, in service and, and in screening times. And, yeah, I think that's really the only way you can do it. And, mm-hmm.
0: like, obviously the, so far the sector's been really sort of positive and upbeat about the idea of, Um, reopening or at least um, some sort of business returning to normal or a a new normal Um, but there's also the the fact that a lot of people are going to be reluctant to sort of throw themselves back into public spaces even once the restrictions are lifted so I'm kind of curious to know what you see as the future of theatrical exhibition sort of in a year or two years time.
2: Well, I personally feel that long term we're looking at a return to something very similar to what we were, we were operating in, um, you know, before all this occurred. Uh, because I, ultimately, I think that, you know, that there will be a vaccine on the basis that this is, you know, potentially the greatest commercial opportunity ever, ever, ever envisaged, where potentially 7 billion people all might have to take a pill. So I'm confident that, that, um, that capitalism will ultimately Come through and save the day for us, and then, and then it'll be back to doing something very similar to what we what we used to do. Uh, in terms of the short term and medium term, I mean, obviously, we're going to be at the mercy of um, of government. I mean, Victorian government's come out and announced in the last twenty four hours that uh, you know cinemas can reopen and, and will reopen in the near future, which is really exciting. And of course, there's going to be people who are going to be reluctant to return. But at the end of the day, it's it, like Zach said earlier. I mean in the same way that we saw a decline in, in people coming through our doors as we, um, as we got further and further into the crisis, I think that it'll just be a, a reversal of that. But so far anecdotally, I mean there is so much there is so much excitement and built up um, sort of desire to return to the movies amongst the people that we're talking to who are just outside the industry and, and people we, we know or just things that are coming through to us in social media that I mean yes, we will obviously be looking at less admissions. Uh, but that will be a factor, you know, that'll be due to a whole heap of factors like, for instance, the absence of any major releases, et cetera. So I think, you know... What, what I imagine will occur is that we'll actually be given the perfect opportunity in order to make sure that people do feel completely at ease when they do go to the movies because ultimately we will, we'll be able to ease into this in a, in a way that many other markets won't be able to because in many ways they will have to kind of um, react to the arrival of a major picture, whereas here we can kind of get the, the specifics out
3: of the way in terms of how we're going to make people feel comfortable when they're coming in the door. And, and I, I think, you know, audience confidence is the, is the new currency. And that's that's what you have to really have. The second uh, a patron walks in the door, they have to feel confident that you're in control of, of the environment and that they're, they're welcome into the environment. And, I, you know, that goes into their their sort of uh, natural ability to uh, be confident going out. Some people obviously going to feel more confident than others. Uh, but, you know, I think having that control and showing that Uh, confidence whether that be sanitization stations uh, you know uh, additional cleaning of course many of these factors that we're all working through and obviously as well as uh, you know physical distancing within the auditoriums and foyers uh, all all that really just wraps it up into a neat package and I think as long as the content is there uh, that people are going to be interested in seeing uh, there should be a a very kind of easy way through uh, this you know very unique situation where we're essentially sort of relearning the business in a way and, and, and remodelling it in a way.
1: Well, that's interesting, yeah, because mm. I'm just wondering about certain kind of things that have we've found during this at-home period, like, you know, for instance, films going certain films going to VOD, um, uh, the resurgence of things in America has seen a little bit of a resurgence of existing drive-ins as somewhere that sort of gives a contactless experience um do you think any of these changes might stick around in some form or another like like particularly with the VOD stuff like will there be more selectivity in terms of what goes to cinemas particularly in terms of you know smaller capacities and things like that obviously
3: well I can't speak for new release stuff but I can certainly say you know running a retro cinema where everything that I play is available on VOD that didn't affect things prior to this. And I think that's going to be a, a really interesting experience uh, to see what the sort of legacy of retro content is and, and and how audiences engage with that content that now they have been forced to engage with it at home via VOD platforms or, the, or their DVD library or, or whatever means So, the real challenge, I think, for the Aster at least, is to uh, remind people of of the legitimacy of seeing a film at the cinema and the legitimacy of of presentation. And, you know, whether that be through, you know, curated pre shows or or celluloid presentations or or some form. I think it's a really exciting, but, you know, obviously very challenging step in in the Aster's legacy because we're essentially having to legitimize retro content again when it's just been readily available everywhere and everyone's just been engaging with it Mm. for the past few weeks and months. But at the same time, though, I mean, I feel like,
2: I mean, I've subscribed to a number of streaming services as well as Foxtel, and um, and and I still find myself wanting. I think the thing that that always sort of intrigues me about streaming is that there's the, there's the mirage of variety, but at the end of the day, when you think about a movie, you say, oh, I really want to sit down and I want to watch Movie X, I think that more often than not, we actually find that movie is not available unless you want to pay for it as a rental or a purchase through iTunes or, you know, go down to JB and actually buy a physical DVD, and um, and I mean, yes, there's some terrific stuff on. On we could spend easily an hour discussing the terrific stuff that we've all watched on, on streaming services over the last couple of months. But at the same time, though, I think that what's also um, being clear is that the value of the cinema experience is still there for the major studios. Yeah. And what they're doing is they're, they're maintaining the course on the most part. I mean, maybe there's a handful of pictures which are going to go uh, to the streaming services um, for one reason or another. But you've got to consider that, I mean, here we are in a situation where untold millions of people have just signed up to Disney+. Plus. Now, so far, by my reading, uh, we've only seen one of those one film go skip theatrical and go to Disney Plus, and that's a film called Artemis Fowl. Now, um, I think that when when you've got a situation where suddenly we're seeing this massive escalation of subscribers to a platform that it's owned, and the profitability of that platform is incredibly high for the studio, that studio to still say. We're, you know, we're dating pictures through to 2025 in the way that they are really just underscores the fact that the value of theatrical actually brings to the awareness of a picture because, as we all know, as I've said millions of times before, the thing is that, yes, okay, there's plenty of these movies on their services, but it's crap we would never watch even if even if, uh, even if, if there was nothing else to watch, you'd turn off the television. I mean, um, one of the streaming services, I was stunned at the dreck that was available uh, about you know, Bermuda Triangles and 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 Flying Saucers and stuff. It's like, what is this? This is not hard copy. This is 2020. And we've got this, we've got supposedly got this incredible variety of, of content available to us. But when you kind of come across these conspiracy documentaries so high in the feed, it's just like, really? This is what I'm subscribing for?
3: I'm I think. Oh, sorry. I think that definitely goes back to the legitimacy of cinema too, and also the legitimacy of like kind of curatorial framework. Uh, you know, I think every every great cinema has a sort of curatorial backbone, and you know, audiences uh, react to that and, and engage with it. So, you know, the the stream streaming algorithm that. Can be so out, and uh, you know, maybe uh, Christian. I, I'm not going to suggest that your streaming algorithm is giving you these conspiracy theory documentaries, but who knows? <laughs> um, but you know, that people don't people don't trust that algorithm. People people trust a brand, and they trust a the curatorial signature, mm. and that's what I think is going to draw people back as well.
0: I'm going to say I'm kind of curious to see how, on a personal level, you've both um, been affected by. The changes to um, the changes this pandemic has made to not only how you're running the cinemas, but more so in just your connection to film personally. Um, can you maybe elaborate on what um, this experience has sort of taught you about the industry and how people connect to movies, or even um, even yourself, how you how you're connecting with these with these films?
3: Well,
2: I think you know Zach and I uh you know we we we're in constant discussion anyway cuz we're we're good friends but um what's been interesting for me is the amount of people from particularly from interstate who are who are calling in i mean i've I probably take about 2 to 3 phone calls a day from people across the industry in different different roles be it either filmmakers or or distributors or um even you know uh, people who 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 are working in the exhibitions um, space so you know there's a lot of camaraderie uh, because ultimately our shared goal is to get people back into cinemas and um, and I think that yes okay, inevitably we'll wind up in a place again where we're all in competition but right now the common goal is about making people kind of want to get back to the movies and um, and thankfully that's a very attractive thing to actually want to offer people and particularly in in the way that cinema is able to going to, is is going to be able to entertain in a way that many other creative spaces are not going to be able to um, for quite some time i mean we we're, we're so lucky that it's literally a case of flicking a switch putting some tape on the floor buying some hand sanitizer and suddenly we're back in business versus all those people who obviously work in the stage space or in the in the live music space i mean uh, you know that is that is a genuine concern for me is the is the um is lack of support for those spaces uh, as uh, because i think that those are those are the real things that we stand to lose here um the great thing about movies is that there's a lot of people across the whole the world who are constantly churning out content and i think that whether it's on streaming services or in, on, in cinemas you're going to get an opportunity to see that but um you know i really i really i really feel very sad about what obviously is happening in other creative spaces the Personally, you know, I'm a, I've am enjoyed the time to just relax. I mean, I always tend to define myself when I go on holidays, you know, constantly checking emails, looking at the social media feed. Is everything being done right? How are things going in my absence? And one of the great things about this is the fact that I've just been able to turn off worrying about work and not not have to worry, you know, that things aren't happening in my absence. I mean, that's actually been a bit of a gift and and something that I've tried not to squander.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would certainly echo Christian's sentiments about the the sort of just real just warmth within the industry at the moment. Like you, you feel like you're, you're part of this kind of large group that all wants to see each other succeeding. And sometimes the industry can be quite competitive. Uh, but that seems to have all kind of gone out the window a little bit, which I think is really heartwarming because everyone knows why we are in this industry knows why we show movies know why we love showing movies uh, and we all want to see everyone get back to doing that uh, and just you know on a, on a personal note like I'm similar it's it's been great to kind of just get to do some of the things that you haven't been able to do before and and kind of look back to and reflect on some of the things and and, and how you'll do them differently it feels almost like a, a nice little mm-hmm. reset button in a way that you know you go well that that structure wasn't working or that kind of plan wasn't working we can refine it and, and move on from there and, and personally speaking, you know, I'm just you know grateful that I had a, a morbid obsession with pandemic movies prior to all this because it's kind of given me a a little bit of insight into things and i think you know if if pandemic movies have done nothing else they've they've taught me not to touch my face very often
2: (laughs) (laughs) actually can i can i just add to that and say I'm, i'm i'm exactly in the same boat i mean my father uh talked about this movie for years called soylent green and when i finally saw it i um and another one um uh, um, what was the one, the other one with Charlton Heston, yeah, um, Mega, Mega Man, Mega Man. Yeah. and it's like you know, I grew, grew up on these movies, and <laughs> I, I think that for some funny reason, because I was so intrigued with these kind of into the world thrillers as a kid, that um, that now I still don't quite believe this is happening. There's a, there's, <laughs> a, there's part of me that's I'm not I'm not talking about conspiracy theories that coronavirus isn't real, but it just, it feels also abstract sometimes that it's almost like we're not really living through it. It's, it's almost like it's, it is happening on a screen rather than it happening to us. Because I suppose that's the way we, we consume it. We consume information about coronavirus through our phones or through our laptops or through our televisions. And, and that's the thing. It's such a, it's so close to uh, watching a TV series or a movie about um, the end of the world that it kind of the lines are blurred and maybe other people feel that way where it does because you, you're not necessarily spending time in an ICU um, because thankfully it's been fairly well handled here in Victoria, then, you know, uh, it, it kind of ceases to be something that, that's truly real, You know, you know, if you will.
1: Yeah, I've I've always felt like uh, my partner and I are like uh, those two guys in Day of the Dead, you know, the guys that have the caravan in the bunker (laughs) and then then the cocktails and stuff. That's kind of where we're at. We're like a little (laughs) oasis here.
0: I actually made the, the last film that I saw before going to ISO was The Lighthouse. So uh, my partner and I wow. joke that we're becoming like Defoe and Patterson.
3: <laughs> as, as long as you're not cooking any lobster, you'll be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, the lobster's always good. Just yeah, don't. it's always good. It's great.
3: Lobster is doing fine.
1: We love it. Um, yeah, just uh, I guess one last thing: how have you managed to kind of deal with the situation professionally in terms of your staff and your culture and your business during this period?
2: Well, I. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll speak to it, I suppose, I think because obviously I'm in sort of the driver's seat in many respects with how we've handled it. But thankfully, with a very, very, um, very, very few staff have managed to um, have have been unable to get some sort of government support. And they've generally been international students or people that a handful of people that we hired um, without the. Uh, Six months, I think, lead time or something for casuals, whatever the rule was that the government put in place. And so, thankfully, we've put everybody onto JobKeeper, and uh, that's been that's been great because ultimately, it's just sort of put them in cryostasis, which is, uh, you know, I think the term that the Treasury used, and um, and had everybody ready to go. And and because we've had that government support, even though obviously there's absolutely no money coming into the business except for a couple of chop chop sales and, and and the likes. Um, we've, uh, we've actually managed to hold on to everybody and indeed with the marketing publicity team, keeping them active because um, one of the things that we've really, we, I suppose we knew going into this, but one of the things that we wanted to really try to keep keep ourselves top of mind and keep ourselves um, in front of people so that when the time did inevitably come where we could reopen, that we could do that and people would be like, oh, yeah, cinema nova. Yep, let's get back there rather than, oh, those guys i haven't thought about them for ages so Mm -hmm. we've just been really hitting it hard with obviously lots and lots of information about what we're doing and about the cinema and everything like that just to kind of just reinforce with people that Mm -hmm. that we are somewhere special um that's dedicated to cinema and in a a way that's um uh, perhaps uh, exceptional in the market
1: and i've also noticed too that you've um advertised at times advertised some of your employees um personal side hustle businesses um, mm. On on the yeah. Cinnamon Nova social media channels as well, which I thought was really nice.
2: Well, I mean they're they're a, they're a great group of people. I mean I've I've really missed them um, while I've not been there, uh, and indeed uh, you know just even crossing paths with my um, my upper management once or once a week or twice a week uh, when I have been on site. Uh, for just administrative stuff has been has been great and um, i can't wait to get back to work with them all because and and I, I know that many of them literally can't wait either because um you know they're all very, very passionate and they're also very close to one another and inevitably um you know that they, they will they'll be missing their friends
3: yeah and really um, it's very similar i mean i can only... Uh, speak to the Aster as such, but uh, we, we've been very fortunate enough that all our, all our staff are being looked after uh, via some uh, government subsidy or benefit. Uh, the The main question that I got, of course, was where's the cat and <laughs> what's the cat doing and, and how is the cat? Uh, and the, 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 I can assure everyone the cat is fine. He's uh, he's uh, on a, a holiday or a sabbatical as <laughs> we're referring to it uh, currently here. Uh, but uh, look, again, it's, it, I Every, every one of my friends in my life is linked to a cinema somewhere. That's how I've met the majority mm. of people uh, in my life. That's how I met my wife. So um, you know, there is this, this real connection to the staff that you work with that you keep forever. And I think you know, that, that, that's exactly what we're, we're all finding at the moment is that the staff are looking in on each other, asking how everyone's going and, and just keeping that communication up and, and, and knowing that you know, this is just an intermission as we're referring to it in, in the industry. And uh, we'll get back to it sooner rather than later.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you both for uh, coming on to chat about this. And um, we're very lucky that you're both going to stick around and review some films with us. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R.
2: Triple R on FM Digital Online via the app.
1: are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford and special guests, uh, Zach Hepburn from the Astor Theatre, Christian Connolly from Cinema Nova, uh, Zach's occasionally snoring dog, Kubrick, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, pour yourself something nice and come join us for our second film of the evening.
3: From the schools,
2: Pam, from from the taxpayers, from from the kids we're supposed to serve, I think this kind of behavior goes beyond the bounds of immoral it, it, it it's cruel it's it's heinous it's it's
0: sociopathic even
1: Bad education is the second film directed by Corey Finlay. Beloved by all, Frank Tassone, played by Hugh Jackman, is the superintendent of Long Island's Roslyn School District, who works, along with his trusty right hand, Pam Gluckin, played by Alison Janney, for the betterment of his student body's education, as his school's national status, its students' SAT scores, and Ivy League admission rates propel it to the number four school in America, when an embezzlement scheme is discovered under his very nose, threatening to destroy everything he's built. Christian? If this film were Rosalind High, would it have what it takes to rise from number four to number one?
2: I think so. I mean, I remember tracking this picture and I think it debuted at one of the four film festivals last year. And um, I'll be honest and say that when I read the reviews, it sounded like something that I was really excited about about us playing, but it was very quickly picked up by, um, by HBO for uh, for television uh, presentation, as is available here on Foxtel. And uh, and honestly, I think that had this picture been played in cinemas, that it would have done very well. I mean, Hugh Jackman's a very attractive um, cast member for Australian audiences, and Alice and Jenny obviously coming off her Oscar win for I, Tonya. This film, in many respects, probably compares to that picture, I, Tonya, as well as Alexander Payne's um a 99 film election uh with matthew broderick and reese witherspoon i mean tonally those three films the these three films seem to sort of share some sort of connection
1: yeah um i i was sort of put in mind of um it it felt very 70s to me um like it's it's funny before the show we're talking about um, some stuff, and you guys were, were thinking this was a. I like, felt like it was a kind of a '90s throwback, and particularly election absolutely came to mind for me too. But this almost felt like something Michael Ritchie would have made in the in the mid '70s. You know, it felt like so, adjacent to stuff like Smile and, mm-hmm. and and you know things like that. I just I feel like th- such a um, non judgmental approach to its characters, particularly gave it that mm-hmm. '70s flavor. That's that whole kind of complete let's dig into that complexity and and uh, the fact that this might be my favorite my new favorite Hugh Jackman performance
0: he's so good isn't he
1: he's fantastic and just so charming and sympathetic that it's that it completely gets the complexity of this person someone that cared so deeply about education and student welfare but also had this extraordinary sense of vanity they kept blurring the lines. Does he care so much and do all the little things because it would make him the top superintendent in America? Or did he start out caring in the one, you know, going on and he saw what was capable? Um, it's um, Jenny is as wonderful as ever, um, leaving, and the cast are all great. No, um, Romano. I mean, <laughs> Ray Romano.
3: I mean, who suddenly is in all these terrific films? Any 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 movie that can make me enjoy Ray Romano gets a gets a tick <laughs> for me because you know, I, prior to the Big Sick, I hated Ray Romano on yeah, screen and I but, just couldn't mm. couldn't engage with him. And then he was in The Irishman, which I really liked him in The Irishman. He's great in this, and he's popped up in some other HBO stuff as well. He's it, it, we're we're in the Ray Romano Renaissance, whatever we had the McConaughey. The, re- <laughs> the <Man-a-Sons>. Renaissance, Renaissance. <laughs> we're in the Romano Renaissance.
1: Have you seen? Because there's a Netflix film called Paddleton as well. He's terrific. Oh and- yeah, yeah he's, he's great in that. Yeah,
3: yeah one of my he's, favorite characters. He's really characters. good in it.
0: Yeah, I've, I'm enjoying seeing um Ray Romano on screen as well. I actually the scene that really stood out to me the most was um and just thinking about. These two characters, like having Janny and Jackman on together on screen, I wasn't sure how they would work and what their chemistry would be. But there's this fantastic scene when they're on the bleachers. It's a really simple mm-hmm. scene where they're they're sharing their lunch break together, and mm. um, Frank uh, Jackman's character is on this weird charcoal diet. And he's obviously cutting out carbs as well. Oh cutting out a lot of things it seems and um kind of teases Jenny's character pam teases him about having a bite and it's a great foreshadowing actually it's a really tender moment it has a lot of purposes this scene in which she kind of says that he takes a bite of the sandwich the the contraband sandwich and she says to him um go on i won't tell anyone and you kind of get this wonderful mm-hmm. sense of their relationship. And I, I think this film is really economical in how it deals with those interactions between the characters. I did read that um, so the real Frank is still alive. Um, Pam, um, the real Pam has passed away. And so there's always that question when you're dealing with a real story of how, um, how, how what facts you're deciding to put in there, how you're changing the story. Um, interestingly enough one of the things I liked the most about this film was um, Frank's relationship with a former student and I think that the, the relationship is dealt with really well and it's quite um, it's only really communicated through a few scenes and all through kind of flash well you get a sense of the progress of their relationship through these, through these moments and you get a sense that you know things are progressing but I was interested to see that the real Frank was saying that he his sexuality was never something that was brought into question. I don't think this is a, a giveaway of sorts. Um, and so it was, it was interesting that the film, one of the main parts of it is that it kind of rests on him being a closeted gay man and I was kind of uh, perhaps one of the hesitations I had about this was... Um, why they decided to sort of add that into the story. It's already such a rich story and I I really thought that that dance scene between him and this former student was one of the most beautiful moments, Um, that kind of lovely awkwardness of his dancing. I mean, like we're so used to Jackman being wonderfully charismatic on screen, but this is a very different kind of charisma and I really get that sense of um, him being at the core maybe a good person who really is passionate about education and about these students. And I loved his um he kind of really under mess, underestimates um the the student journalist Rachel in the same way that he encourages her on because he doesn't see her as a threat and encourages encourages her to continue with this um this kind of um, investigative journalism piece. And so I, I really, I actually really love this film. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. Mm. Um, I think it's a really interesting take and study of um, how people are corrupted by power and also the ways in which systemic corruption works as well. And um, yeah, I've enjoyed this a whole lot.
2: That- and also the an insight into the American school system and and this mm. kind of the competitive nature of it and you have to be at this area and the connection yeah. to, to local property prices and so there's pressure coming not just from not just from obviously uh, parents but also from the board because of the board is being pressured over the you know local v- land values. I mean. How obscene that education has just been completely corrupted through this Mm. kind of like, uh, how high can you get your school to rank in order for your students to wind up going to Harvard or whatever the the blue chip school is, but to sacrifice all these other things. I mean, the the, the scene early in the picture where, you know, it it communicates very cleanly and, and very, very economically again how aspects of the school are run down but they've got this big multi-million dollar project that's being mooted and, and mm-hmm. yeah the, the filmmaking itself is actually very 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 attention has a lot of attention to detail and it really helps yeah. build a much larger world but just to speak to, to your comment about um, the sexuality of of Hugh's character I mean maybe maybe the 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 original character or the original individual says his sexuality wasn't in question but the movie is taking place at kind of the turn of the century mm-hmm. and I mean attitudes then versus attitudes now are two completely different things but I suppose at the same time though there is a nice aspect to the fact that the film doesn't make a big deal about his sexuality either yeah. but at the same time though I mean yeah I think there was signs there for me to anticipate that there would be this this later reveal mm. very early on, and I mean, it was there for you if you wanted to to read yeah. it that way. But obviously, yeah. it depended on how you picked up on those clues. I yeah, will absolutely. just
1: quickly say that with the with the thing, the screenwriter um, kind of kept Frank out of it. He didn't go to Frank in terms of research. He wanted to, mm. in respect for Rosalind, he wouldn't go to any of the perpetrators. But he actually went to the people in the town, and because he was a student, the screenwriter was actually a student at Rosalind.
0: Yeah, I read that. That's yeah. amazing, isn't and it? He,
1: so he talked to the other teachers, he talked to the other school board people, he talked to the parents. And so all of this is kind of drawn from, you know, the impressions. And so, you know, a lot of them probably were in the dark about this. And as Christian said, it wasn't the time when everyone was necessarily out and proud, particularly in a very middle class mm. kind of suburb.
3: And yeah.
2: in the school system
3: too. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Just, and just to reiterate, I think, you know, Jackman's performance in it, in the, there's that specific moment in the film where he, he knows that his uh, kind of co-conspirator uh, is in trouble and he has to kind of rally the board uh, back on his side. And he uses his charisma in this sort of like serpentine way to sort of like answer his own question and answer their own questions and, and get his result that he needs. And I think that's just a, a really fantastic moment. Uh, and that, you know, uh, I think is a real great example of this film. As well as um, just a love letter to giant '90s suits, and I thought that I thought we'd seen that all with the last dance uh, over the course of ten episodes, but no, this this is this is also there in this. So um, yeah, so the attention to detail might be there. They're back, baby, they're back. (laughs) Back back. So bring back those three buttons.
1: Get your your David Byrne suits out. Yeah. Yeah, I the. Yeah, I, I I couldn't. I, I was really. I'm like Flick. I did not expect to enjoy this as much as I did. I was really kind of super uh, super impressed by it as as a character study, and um, yeah, I, I just really enjoyed um, digging into it.
2: And I think at the other the other benefit, I mean, on a business level, the benefit of the picture is that ultimately, it's um as for H, for HBO, it represents an absolute. Uh, certainty in terms of um, uh, awards kudos and winning awards potentially or the mm-hmm. Emmys from um, limited series or the telemovie or whatever the category is so I think you know it it, it makes perfect sense in terms of taking something that would be pretty dry and it would be tough to attract a mainstream audience particularly given um, the marquee name involved and then sort of say oh here's a here's a very kind of reality-based drama set in a school system it's much easier for HBO to take that picture and put it on put it on the service and, and get a lot of people going. I want to see that new Hugh Jackman film, particularly if it gets some buzz, and then um, going on to win all sorts of awards gold at the end of the year.
3: And mm. as I think it's definitely also been shot on film, if I'm not mistaken. Given the aesthetic it that it has, and I think that 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 leads to the sort of legitimacy of it as well. But it's you know it's a prestigious sort of production. So um, yeah, I, I was yeah big fan of it
0: it's made and me really want to go back and watch his um, earlier film thoroughbeds because I missed that and um, I love yeah. Anton it didn't too. get released
2: here it went straight to oh, to home nice. entertainment mm. it was I remember when the trailer Jay, when the trailer dropped the trailer was very very, very kind of um, very slick kind of like a, an arch yeah hard candy meets clueless kind of aesthetic mm. sort of rich rich girls with um, with no uh, scruples type thing mm. and at the time um, I went to the studio and said hey what's going on with this and they're like yes we're gonna we're gonna release it and then suddenly it went straight to home end so you know oh, um, it's clearly someone was yeah. paying attention because they picked him up for this picture
0: yeah and I can't believe he's so young he's younger than, mm. <laughs> younger than me that's how I <laughs> yeah yeah he's
1: 31 he was yeah. 29 I think when amazing. they started shooting this 29 yeah. amazing
0: it's a really uh, it's a really well it's a well done film
1: yeah, and and look, as you were saying with HBO, um, just one last little thing that it it's I think it's being used to help launch HBO Max, hmm. which is HBO's new streaming service. So, yeah, it's definitely a great one to go with. So, Bad Education is now able to stream on Foxtel Now or buy via YouTube and Google Play. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Cinema Nova's Christian Connolly, the Astor Theatre's Zach Hepburn, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Like its predecessors, The Trip, The Trip to Italy, and The Trip to Spain, The Trip to Greece was originally released in the UK as a six part TV series before being edited into the 29th feature film directed by Michael Winterbottom. That's in 25 years. Uh, Old frenemies Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, playing dialed-up versions of themselves, are thrown together once more, perhaps final time, to conduct a a restaurant tour that follows the path of Homer's The Odyssey. Of course, constant one-upmanship, petty arguments, dueling impressions of celebrities, mocking of careers and bragging of BAFTAs ensues. But is that Trojan horse visit in an early scene a clue that something deeper bubbles beneath the banter? Zach,
3: does this fourth visit... With our old friends, blow the bloody doors off! What well, what I would like to know is why is there no bloody Michael Kane in this film? I thought I had a contractual obligation to be in every bloody movie. Um, look, I I love these movies. I've got I've got a real soft spot for them. I just uh, for me, it's about just that kind of. Mer- way that you actually feel that you're involved in their conversation just sitting at the table with them and it's that kind of fly on the wall aesthetic there you just sort of just ease into the 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 conversation and the meal I mean I found it incredibly poignant watching it at at home because you know obviously a lot of us can't go out for lunch at the moment and it it made me yearn for those sort of like long long lunches where maybe you have you know a a few a few glasses of wine with, with with a few different plates and it just that, that idea that you just sit down and, and just catch up with people and just have conversations that go nowhere but mean a lot. And I, I, I really yearned for that when I was watching that film and this, this is what came out to me during it. But, yeah, I agree. There's, there's a, I think, more so than ever uh, in this one, there's this real sense of bittersweet melancholy bubbling away under the surface. And I think, you know, you look at that kind of like middle-aged malaise which can kind of come out and and, and that kind of rumination on legacy and mortality and... You know I, I think it even though it's you know it could be somewhat cliched in some other hands it, here it's it's not that obvious but it's there if you want to kind of tune into it so uh, mm-hmm. yeah look i I would go on as many trips with these guys as possible <laughs> uh, I know I know some people don't care for them but I, I I really love them.
0: I actually had a um trip to Greece planned that has obviously been um postponed shall we say so I was a little bit um <laughs> tricked by the title of this. Um, I I also am a big fan of this duo. I have I really enjoyed the TV series. I was I thought that the didn't work as well as a film when it was, you know, made as the trip. And I caught the second film, but not the third one. I actually didn't even remember there being a third one. Is that the Spain? Trip to yes. Spain, is that yeah. So I thought that some of them were stronger than others. I think this is a real return to form. Like they like you were saying, Zach, that whole thing of there being this real humanity to the minutiae of everyday life with these, Mm. with these men. And I was really, I just found it so comforting. And I think this is kind of um, a film that we kind of need to be watching at this time. There's something really lovely about the way in which these men, you know, they are playing kind of versions of themselves. So it's wonderful, uh, you know, um, there's this access of um, information and vulnerabilities about them, so they work that into the script. That's which is largely improvised. So mm. it's a real delight having this kind of banter, and there's a there's a realness to it. And the way in which uh, Winterbottom films is to have uh, one to two cameras, so he's able to capture a lot of. These these very natural re- responses and reactions between the two men and and two friends. So, I, I really love that about this. Um, I think that the one of the I won't ruin any of the no spoilers, but um, I think the storyline was much stronger in this film than in other ones, and I was really moved by it. And I think there's a real restraint that Winterbottom uses, and I like the fact that the comedy almost has a second. It doesn't it's not kind of forced upon the narrative and the narrative is allowed to meander it kind of reminded me a lot of the pleasure I take in um watching something like Before Sunset or, you know that sort of series with Linklater where it's a real meandering philosophical kind of take on life um strangely enough it reminded me of this um film from a really long time ago well not long time ago, it's been a while since I saw it but um Sleep Furiously it's a um it's a little um Documentary about this um, library, so it's kind of got that meandering style to it. Um, I yeah, I liked this a whole lot more than I was expecting to. It's um yeah, it's just nice to see them return to form.
3: And I love the little interstitial moments, uh, and this is throughout the whole series and also the films where they just go into the kitchen and you just yeah. see the, 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 mm. the prep work, and there's just all these little little like poignant pauses between the impressions where you just get this kind of moment of silence. Where people are just meticulously plating food and it comes out, yeah, I just it, yeah. they're really nicely crafted.
0: Apparently, um, the both Coogan and Bryden hated eating the food, so um, mm-hmm. Windbottom was saying that he knew when they were like happy with the take because they'd actually eat the food. So he's like, oh, okay, this one's <laughs> this one's <laughs> the one.
1: <laughs> Christian, oh, look,
2: <clears throat> I'll be honest and say that uh, for me, this series has been a case of diminishing returns, and um, I really enjoyed the first two films. Uh, quite a lot I I really enjoyed the kind of the travelogue aspect the comedy uh, as well as the pathos that uh, that that Flick was talking about but the last film uh, Trip to Spain just didn't quite for me measure up to uh, Trip to Italy And and in the case of this it just felt like just going through the motions, and um, I didn't get anything fresh or new in the way that I felt that I did in the earlier uh, iterations of the series. Um, and it also sort of it occurred to me that that the picture was uh, was shot in Greece, which coincidentally, uh, was also the location for Winterbottom and Coogan's previous picture, Greed, uh, which is a sort of a satirical comedy about the fast fashion industry. And um, with that in mind, it sort of struck me as sort of like, oh, let's sort of see if we can tack another trip installation onto the end of the shoot for Greece and do this <laughs> one kind of on the fly. But I did appreciate the fact that this one kind of did away with the very um, ambiguous and, and kind of a pointless ending of the third film, which found Coogan kind of in the top of Africa, um, about to be attacked by terrorists, which which was never really dealt with, and, and that mm-hmm. sort of seems to have been forgotten uh, in, in <laughs> yeah. the, uh, for this picture. Not that we're there for the plot, but, uh, yeah, it's sort of the, the cohesiveness that was there very early on just, for me, seems to have disappeared and and, and this picture kind of left me wanting more.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm more in your line, um, uh, Christian. I did like it's always a pleasure to catch up with these two. Um, I've long believed that the TV versions, like you, flick, that the TV versions do work better than the film versions. I mean, they're always hugely invo- enjoyable. For me, Trip to Italy is actually the high point of this series. Yeah, agreed. The one I enjoyed the most, and I love you know I love that there was a hint of sadness that ran through those first three installments, and they that they reflect different stages of their life cycles, but. It, and it also makes sense that mortality is kind of on 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 someone's mind, mm. but by this point, this in this I think the dramatic ele- in, in the past the dramatic elevator drops felt more organic. These they feel kind of tacked on. Like there's a sequence involving a refugee camp at one point that just felt very tacked on. Um, forgot
0: that that happened. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. and yeah. and there was another point, and and it just like there was a point where it's like I just want to watch them do their shtick and eat lovely food, and you know. Like Zach said, watch them cooking and, and, you know, watch them become obsessed with a waitress and, you know, <laughs> and just sort of have that stuff happening without the other stuff. Like this, mm. it felt the most kind of um, contrived here.
2: I, uh, I would have loved to have seen them go to somewhere other than Europe. I mean, I mean, mm. without being silly, I mean, we were talking about it in the break, but I want to see them go to a place where those two guys are completely thrown off balance like Tokyo or even Seoul or I mean there was even talk I don't I mean it was maybe it was just um wishful thinking but there was even a discussion about them coming to Australia to do you know the trip to Sydney or something like that so you know when you consider the destinations that are available to these guys Mm. and the fact that they seem to be stimulated by kind of interesting environments Mm. uh, seems like a missed opportunity not to to take them to more adventurous places
0: Especially as this is um, scheduled to be the last in the series. Mm. I know Coogan was asked about it and he's got a fantastic quote on it. There was something like, as they say, quit while you're in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: just, I just want to see Ray Winston uh, perform Henry VIII. That's what i yeah. I, I, that. I do. that's all we get out of this, I'll be happy.
1: Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so the trip to Greece is available to buy via YouTube, iTunes, Google Play and uh, able to buy and rent via the Lido Classic uh, Cameo Cinema Chain's newly launched Lido at Home streaming service. You're listening to Primal Screen on RRR. Triple R.
2: Triple R.
1: You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, myself, Paul Anthony Nelson, and our uh, guest, Theatre General Manager and Programmer Zach Hepburn, and Cinema Nova CEO Christian Connolly. Thank you both so much for joining us tonight. Pleasure. Thank you. We hope you, uh, you, dear listener, enjoyed our uh, discussion about COVID-19's effect on the cinema exhibition industry and our reviews of new releases. We discussed Bad Education, now streaming on Foxtel Now and available to buy on YouTube, iTunes and Google Play and The Trip to Greece, now available to buy via iTunes, YouTube and Google Play and, and iTunes as well and or to rent via uh, Lido Cinema's Lido at Home streaming platform. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, we'll be joined by an old friend, Cerise Howard, and friends of hers, as yet unnamed, (laughs) uh, for a chat about the the, the student-run New Normal International Film Festival, which will be running online from Melbourne to June 4th to June 6th. As for the films we'll be checking out, all will be revealed via our social media channels this week. So stay tuned to Primal Screen Podcast on Facebook, at Primal underscore Screen on Twitter, and at Primal Screen underscore, uh, sorry, Primal underscore Screen underscore Show on Instagram. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen Podcast, Killer Carl Chapman for panelling and providing producing assistance for our show,